You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is the third and final of three episodes of Lighthearted being released this week for Florida Week. My co-host is Cindy Johnson. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. How about a few more interesting facts about Florida? Sure. Florida was named Florida after the first European contact was made by the Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon on April 2, 1513. He named the region La Florida, or Land of Flowers. Central Florida is known as the lightning capital of the United States because the region experiences more lightning strikes than anywhere else in the country. Yikes. Florida also leads the U.S. in tornadoes for its area. And it's the most hurricane-prone state in the country. But rip currents actually kill more people in Florida during an average year than hurricanes, tornadoes, and lightning combined. Yikes is right. Florida has the highest percentage of people over 65. Lake Okeechobee is the second largest freshwater lake after Lake Michigan, completely within the continental United States. Our feature interview in this episode concerns the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse on the north side of Jupiter Inlet. My wife Charlotte and I visited there in May. We drove from Ponce Inlet to Jupiter one afternoon through heavy thunder showers and also through heavy showers of love bugs. Anyone who's lived in Florida or who's visited in the spring knows what I'm talking about when I say love bugs. Our rental car was not a pretty sight. But Jupiter Inlet is a great lighthouse. Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse is in Jupiter, Florida on Florida's east coast. The 108-foot brick tower was designed by Lieutenant George Meade of the Bureau of Topographical Engineers and went into service in 1860. Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum, operated by the nonprofit Loxahatchee River Historical Society, offers climbing tours of the tower, and the museum features 5,000 years of local history. Josh Liller is the historian and collections manager for the Loxahatchee River Historical Society and Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. After graduating from Florida Atlantic University in 2013, Josh began as a volunteer tour guide and archives intern, and at the start of 2014, he became the historian and collections manager. Josh gives numerous presentations related to local history throughout the year. During my visit to Florida in May, I had the opportunity to sit down with Josh. Let's listen to our conversation now. I am here at the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum, and we are actually in uh, a building uh, that was at one time naval housing, and we're in a room known as the quarter deck that is used for meetings here, and I'm here with Josh Liller, and I want to thank you very much for being with me today, Josh. Thanks for having me. And I, thank, thank you for, for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. And I do want to mention that there are severe thunderstorms in the area right now. So you may hear some interesting noises in the background. Just before we started recording, we just heard some thunder. And we just saw some lightning out the window here. So there's a good chance you're going to hear some, some noises in the background. So hopefully it's not going to get too crazy here. And I believe the, the, uh, the lighthouse is being closed a little early for climbing today because of the severe thunderstorms in the area. Yes, uh, sunny South Florida is not always quite as sunny as you'd think. <laughs> no. In fact, uh, my wife and I just drove through some pretty, 
pretty interesting uh, downpours on the on the way to get here just a, a little while ago. So again, thanks, Josh. And so let's chat for a little while here. First of all, let me ask you a, a general question. What do you personally find especially compelling about lighthouse history in general, Josh? The thing that's fascinated me the most about lighthouse history that I only learned as I started here um, is how little we know about them. Uh, compared to a lot of other fields, it's, it's a very understudied part of our history. I, my first big interest in history was mostly the Civil War. And I, at first I wanted to get into the Civil War field, uh, Battlefield Guide or something like that. And I was just kind of amazed comparing the two, how, how much has been written about the Civil War and how much we know about the Civil War. And there are occasionally still very new topics you can mine, little aspects of it. Um, but there's been a lot written, you know, a lot of ink spilled about people like Grant and Lee and Lincoln. With lighthouses, there's so little research done on a lot of it because so much of the effort and the fundraising has been to simply preserve them and restore them and, and slowly build up visitation and bring people to them that the what happened there oftentimes falls uh, to the wayside a little bit. And even what has been done a lot of times, you pick up some very casual lighthouse books and they're working off newspaper reports and sort of casual hearsay and the the oral history of it, which oftentimes is built into some myth and misunderstanding over the years. And it's not until you really start cracking into National Archives and other first uh, primary sources that you really start to find out what really happened and more details about it. And specifically, what is it about the history of Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse here that makes it unique and interesting for you? For me, what, like I mentioned, the interest in the Civil War, it was great to start out somewhere that George Meade had been our designer and they'd selected the site for our lighthouse. So it was a, a great little bonus connection to yeah. us. We're the oldest building in Palm Beach County. Uh, we might be the oldest surviving building between about uh, Miami and Cape Canaveral, I think. Not to say that this area didn't have history. That's one of our things we try to educate visitors on is that there is history before Disney and air conditioning. Uh, but in terms of surviving structures, our lighthouse is about the oldest thing around. We had all five branches of the U.S. military here at different times. We have a large lighthouse reservation, and so they may, were able to make use of the extra space on the property, and that gives us sort of an extra bonus, like the building that we're in now that's our meeting room and our gift shop and our museum is an authentic military building that served in World War II. And Josh, I was looking uh, in researching before I came uh, online. I saw that you, you give uh, a lot of interesting tours and presentations uh, in the area, aside from what you do here at, at the Lighthouse. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the subjects and personalities they might hear about in some of your lectures and tours? So we're a little unusual for a lighthouse. That The lighthouse is really only part of our mission. We are the Loxahatchee River Historical Society, which right. means we're the local history mm-hmm. organization for the whole Jupiter area. And the lighthouse is our centerpiece. That's what really draws people in, but it's a way to introduce them to more local history. So I do some talks here. I do them in local libraries. I get civic groups that make requests. And some of them are very simple in general, just want to know more about the history of the lighthouse. We have a lot of newcomers to the area. But some of the topics that I get to beyond that, we had a, what was we called a tro- history trolley tour this year. 
uh, new thing we're trying out. I'll definitely be doing it again in the future. And we just get a, a like a rented trolley bus and go drive around town and point out this building used to be here. This property used to be this. This is it gives people more of a, a sense of not just hearing about th this history happened, but specifically how the town has changed over time. Another very popular one. In fact, I had uh, 200 people at two different lectures on back to back days early this year, we had a guy named Trapper Nelson. He lived up the Loxahatchee River from the 1930s to the 1960s, and he was our living local living legend. He was a trapper and a hunter and sold animals and animal skins, but he had a great camp up the river in remote wilderness, and it became a popular attraction not just for locals who wanted to go, go boating for the day and have a picnic spot, but people would come from Jupiter Island and Palm Beach Island, and it was... He, he had a real rugged Tarzan look to him that really, really drew the ladies in. And then he later became reclusive late in his life and died under circumstances some consider mysterious to this day. So it's, it's a real fascinating figure that people really love to turn out to hear. My favorite topic, though, I think, talk, I talk about our keepers. I have a lecture I talk about our keepers uh, that we had a lot more than most people realize. We had almost... 200 between the civilian lighthouse service and the coast guard but one of them in particular was a guy named melville spencer and he had a camera and took photos on glass plate negatives back in the 1880s and they're probably the oldest existing photos of the jupiter area palm beach county and then later when he was down at the sombrero key lighthouse and the florida keys and I like, I, I put together a presentation showing off these photos, which he sold a lot of them as stereo views to early tourists and things. And we're, we keep finding more and more of them. So it's this growing body of work, not of, it's beautiful photography just in general, but a connection of our lighthouse to local history and something we want to put together as a, like a coffee table book to just show off all these amazing scenes and history done by a lighthouse keeper that we can thank him for. Yeah. Wow. What a treasure that is and how unusual that is to have a keeper of that era taking so many pictures. Right. That. That's, that's amazing. Now, if you were uh, talking to somebody who was visiting the Jupiter in the Lighthouse and Museum for the first time, what would be your recommendation for, for things they should especially look for, things they should, should notice? What would you point out for them? Well, the first thing about the Lighthouse itself we are one of 13 lighthouses in the entire United States that has an active first-order Fresnel lens in it. Uh, it's still active. Uh, has been there since the 1860s. Mm -hmm. We're very proud of that fact, and the Coast Guard's been very happy with how well we care for the lighthouse and the lens. Uh, another very popular draw is down at the base of the hill that the lighthouse sits on. Uh, there's a massive ficus tree. Uh, that people really wows people probably more than anything except the lighthouse itself. And one thing that makes us also very unique, I mean, besides the local historical society aspect that I mentioned, our lighthouse reservation has been preserved. And it's a large lighthouse reservation. We're 120 acres. And our historical society 11 years ago successfully led a campaign to have congressional legislation that preserves it as an outstanding natural area. Uh, there's only two other designated ONAs, both over on the Pacific coast. And so five to 10 acres of our, what we call the historic corridor, it's the prime area of the site with the military stations, and the lighthouse and a Native American site. But the rest of the property, 
um, has mostly been kept or restored to a natural area condition. You can go out there to nature trails and see wildlife and a mix of temperate and tropical plants. Uh, and we're surrounded by a, a developed area uh, in a probably 65, 70,000 people live in the Jupiter Quest area. So there's this little island of preserved wilderness here. What's the most fun part of your, of your job? The most fun is the, the constant discovery and rediscovery of, of new things come in, some things that we're looking for, some things we had no idea that we'd want to look for that come in and we just go, wow, this is, this is an exciting little aspect of our history uh, that's great to know. Uh, sometimes that we kind of learn, we go, oh, something we thought was a certain way we've we've learned better now, uh, whether it be research or, or people donate photos or, or things like that. Uh, sometimes it's just new information and we can look at something we've had and suddenly, oh, now we see significance of this that we didn't have before. Uh, to tie it back into just mentioning Spencer's photography, someone recently was looking around the internet and they found the Getty Museum has a huge stereo view collection and in it are three Spencer stereo views, two of which are, are relatively mundane photos of plants that we'd seen before. But one of them is a group of surveyors posed for a photo in front of the lighthouse with all their equipment. And because of the caption that was on the stereo view, we were able to then link it to newspaper research I've done to find out it was surveyors working for a guy named Hamilton Diston in 1882 that were surveying on ways to drain the Everglades. So we have a, a larger Florida historical issue there tying into our lighthouse with a great period photo. And another example, just recently we were contacted by possibly the last surviving veteran who served at our naval radio station. Uh, he's a 97-year-old World War II veteran, still sharp of mind was able to tell us things about the naval radio station we didn't know before, give us photos we'd never seen before. And it's little things like that that just bring a certain amount of almost daily excitement to the job. Yeah. Oh, it's all like finding treasure. And it's a, even for one lighthouse, it's like you're putting together a giant puzzle and all, you never know where you're going to find the next piece. It's... A, it's a jigsaw puzzle where you don't even know how many pieces you have. <laughs> right. And it's never, you're never done putting it together. Right. It's, it's constantly, you're thinking of new, new resources come available. Some uh, uh, newspaper gets digitized. Uh, someone finds a new picture. Don't, someone finds something in the attic, um, found some photos. Someone put up on eBay three photos from our lighthouse and spotted them, grabbed that auction real fast. Another person had a photo of one of our lighthouse keepers when he was a uh, young adult, found it at a thrift shop in Georgia and just was curious about the, the name on the back, who it was, found that it was our one of our lighthouse keepers here and just kindly stuck it in the mail to us. <laughs> well, that is great. Uh, now to shift gears a little bit, I understand the lighthouse tower is being repainted this year. Uh, could you say a little bit about that? That's correct. We have a brick tower. Uh, just a couple of years ago, we did work on the Iron Lantern, uh, repainting that with several coats of paint. The The climate here is really harsh on the iron with the being close to the ocean and the humidity and the bright sunshine and everything. The bricks themselves uh, are in fairly good condition, but the paint job is now nine years old on a 10-year warranty. So we want to—we have one of the best-kept lighthouses, I think, and we want to keep it that way. Also, the interior 
you have more humidity on the interior bricks. You have the tromping of tens of thousands of people every year up and down the stairs, sweaty hands clinging to railings and touching walls. Yeah. Uh, so that we try to do, we try to at least do touch-up work on that on an almost yearly basis. And we figure since we need to do that, we might as well bring in the, the do the exterior work as part of the same project. So we'll save on labor costs overall by having it all done at once and... Uh, keep the lighthouse in good shape. The paint is expensive because it's mineral-based paint. It allows the brick to breathe, which is very important for not trapping not only moisture in there from the climate, but when we have really heavy wind, especially like in a storm, like a hurricane or a tropical storm, salt can get pushed into the brick and that has to be able to breathe that salt back out. It will actually see it sometimes... Uh, a couple of years ago after Hurricane Irma, we didn't get it too bad on this side, but there was enough wind. It was for two weeks, part of the lighthouse was just weeping salt back out of the brick. And so if you go down to your local Home Depot and grab some, you know, latex paint there, slap it on your bricks, it's not going to be a good result. <laughs> Josh, I, I think, uh, you know, everybody, uh, anybody who knows anything about lighthouses, anybody who cares about them at all, certainly would agree that we need to preserve the historic structures themselves. Could you say a little bit about why is it so important that we we preserve the the history of the lighthouses alongside the the actual uh, structures themselves? I think in general, lighthouses, especially on land, tie very much into the local history. In some cases, it's a part of the maritime industry. For us, we were we were the not the original tourist attraction, the original chamber of commerce to early pioneers and visitors coming down here and. The, they'd stop here and they'd say, "Okay, where where can I hunt? Where should I settle? Let me give me give me some advice. Give me some sometimes give me some fresh water." The other part of it is specific to all lighthouses are the keepers themselves, uh, the stories that their lives can intertwine with are very fascinating. And sometimes the if they were here for a long period of time, they led a fascinating experience with what they did at the lighthouse with. Everything from helping people with shipwrecks and a variety of other usually good things. Occasionally, there's the scandals and the troubles. Uh, in some cases, they were here for a short time, but the and the lighthouse was actually probably the least interesting part of their lives. But that lighthouse serves as this point that draws all these different people together. To whether they were pioneers or they went on to hold, you know, be, become a judge or a prominent local figure, it ties all these different stories together, and it's it links them in a way that nothing else does. And the lighthouses themselves, once you are in the civil service era, they're all linked together as keepers moved around for promotions and, and looking for better positions. So th there's a lot of interconnectivity and. By preserving that story, you preserve a lot of not just the lighthouse's story, but all these other stories and build a web of history. And people might say, oh, I don't know why the lighthouse is important. But then when it starts tying it all together, if you, if you lose the lighthouse, you lose part of that web of all the history. You may have kind of just answered this, but maybe you want to say expand a little bit more if I ask you why, as a historian... Is studying lighthouse history, would you say it's more interesting uh, in some way than studying the history of other types of buildings in general? I, th I think it has a lot of interesting, like I said at the beginning, because of how much there is to do. 
Uh, anyone studying lighthouses, especially if they can start tapping into primary resources, there's not a lot of things you can say, I'm doing groundbreaking research on things that nobody has really ever researched before. That's a great feeling. Not just with everything from the lighthouses themselves and exactly what really happened over the course of their history and the keeper stories, even things like the architecture. You know, you can talk to football buffs who will tell you, okay, Vince Lombardi was a coach and he had these assistant coaches that became head coaches and you have these coaching trees of football strategy that percolates down over the years. But if you look at lighthouses and the architecture, you look at a lighthouse like Cape Hatteras, which then is famous in its own right, but it influenced the design of St. Augustine and Body Island and Curatuck, which influenced the design of Ponce Inlet. And you have these little stories of architecture that's another untapped part of history that probably very few people with an architectural mind have looked at to start piecing together. And some of these lighthouse architects, um, the designer of St. Augustine, Paul Pells, was also designing buildings in Washington. Uh, worked on one of the buildings for the, uh, I think it was Library of Congress. Mm. So I'll, I think a lot of potential for interesting stories there that are, are untapped and more, probably, like I said with the jigsaw puzzle metaphor, there's more out there than we even realized that we should be looking for yet. Yeah, I concur. Finally, let me just ask you uh, if, if there's anything we haven't covered, if, uh, any, if our listeners, uh, if you, there's one thing you could say to our listeners that we haven't already covered, if just one more thing you'd like to add, what would it be? One thing I would say, and it's not specific to Jupiter, uh, I've been now, I've been in, I could say that I've been in the lighthouse biz now for about six years. And I've, I've been fascinated just how much I, I've learned in that time period and how much more there is to learn. I've been to about 50 lighthouses, and they've all got unique little stories. And I think that's probably adding even to the question of how lighthouses are, are different uh, to other buildings. Each lighthouse is even the ones with the architectural similarities. They have so many individual interesting stories and, and little individual unique histories that they really benefit visiting each one and, and kind of learning it's getting that unique part of lighthouse history that you just not it's certainly not something where you oh i've seen a lighthouse i've i've basically seen them all it's not, it's not the case that's a perfect way to to end this uh, chat for today i think so thank you so much josh liller historian and collections manager for the loxahatchee river historical society and the jupiter inlet lighthouse and museum so Thanks for spending this time uh, today with me today, Josh. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's now time for our Lighthouse History segment. In the last couple of episodes, we've discussed the monopoly that Winslow Lewis had on the lighting system that was used in American lighthouses in the first half of the 19th century, and then we discussed the important invention of the Fresnel lens in France in the 1820s. Today we're going to discuss the vital 1843 report to Congress by the civil engineer I.W.P. Lewis that led to the restructuring of the nation's lighthouse administration. Isaiah William Penn Lewis, better known as IWP, was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1808. 
He was a nephew of Winslow Lewis, the Cape Cod sea captain who received a patent for the lighting apparatus used in American lighthouses beginning in 1810, and who also built many early lighthouse towers. IWP Lewis was a respected engineer whose work would eventually include the design of a couple of the Florida reef lights. In 1842, Treasury Secretary Walter Forward appointed Lewis to make an examination of the nation's aids to navigation and their management. To carry out the report, Lewis inspected 70 lighthouses in Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts, which represented one-third of the nation's total at that time. In his report, Lewis questioned many of the decisions that had been made regarding the placement of lighthouses. Here is one typical statement from the report. The mere arrangement of distinguishing lights on the coast of Maine will prove that there is neither knowledge of the wants of navigation nor any attempt made to ascertain those wants. Lewis was very critical of the fact that there was not enough variety in the characteristics of the lights, meaning that it was often hard for mariners to distinguish one light from another. From Monhegan Island, he noted, seven fixed lights could be seen. In fact, on the entire coast of Maine at the time, there were only four flashing lights. Lewis noted the dangers on the Massachusetts coast of the Cohasset Rocks, south of Boston, and said that a lighthouse was badly needed in the vicinity of Minot's Ledge. Part of the problem, he said, was that situate light nearby was often mistaken for Boston light. Lighthouse after lighthouse met with Lewis's criticism. Quote, no establishment on our coast requires a more efficient light, unquote, wrote Lewis of Great Point on Nantucket, but he found the tower leaky, the lantern corroded, and the reflectors worn out. At Dice Head in Maine, Lewis reported that the tower was, quote, laid up in lime mortar of bad quality, unquote. The walls were cracked from frost, the woodwork was rotten, and the tower's base rested on an uneven ledge without regard to level. Many light stations received similar reviews. Lewis's report went to Congress in February 1843. Secretary Forward recommended that no further appropriation should be made for any lighthouse unless a competent engineer was involved in its planning. Stephen Pleasanton, the Treasury official who had been in charge of the nation's lighthouses since 1817, fought bitterly against the Lewis report. But in 1846, two U.S. Navy lieutenants, Thornton Jenkins and Richard Bosch, studied the lighthouses of Europe, especially Great Britain and France, with an eye toward improving the American system. Progress was slow, but in March 1851, Congress passed an act authorizing the placement of Fresnel lenses in American lighthouses, replacing the inferior system of multiple lamps and reflectors. The act also authorized the appointment of a board of proper persons to inquire into the condition of America's lighthouse establishment. In May 1851, the Treasury Secretary appointed a board of qualified professionals to take charge of the nation's aids to navigation. The board compiled a detailed report that included instructions for lighthouse keepers, construction plans for lighthouses, and methods of inspection. With an act signed by President Millard Fillmore on August 31, 1852, the U.S. Lighthouse Board became the governing agency of America's lighthouses, and it held that position for the next 58 years. Time for our trivia question. The first two people to answer the following question will win prizes. 
Here's today's question. Who was the uncle of the civil engineer I.W.P. Lewis? Again, who was the uncle of the civil engineer I.W.P. Lewis? A hint. He was a very important figure in the first half of the 19th century in American lighthouse history. The first person to answer the question correctly gets a copy of the book Lighthouses of America, published in association with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's a beautiful 176-page hardcover book featuring stunning photographs of lighthouses across the country taken by society photographers. The second person to answer correctly gets an official U.S. Lighthouse Society passport. The Lighthouse Passport Program provides enthusiasts the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses, as well as a wonderful way to keep a pictorial history of their lighthouse adventures. You can learn more about the Passport Program at uslhs.org. To enter, send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Please include your mailing address. Be sure to say you are answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Episode 16. And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y at U-S-L-H-S dot O-R-G. That brings us to the end of this episode of Lighthearted and the end of Florida Week. Once again, thanks to all the staff and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And thanks to all the great people of all the lighthouse organizations in Florida, including the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum, the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum, the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum, the Florida Lighthouse Association, the Florida Keys Reef Lights Foundation, and all the others. There are so many hardworking lighthouse people in Florida making sure that lighthouses and their history are preserved. Thanks to our guest in today's episode, Josh Liller of the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. And if any of our listeners are on the New Hampshire seacoast this season, they should stop by one of our Sunday open houses and see our gleaming, freshly painted Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire. That's right. Uh, Of course, Cindy, you're operations manager for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Mm -hmm. Both of us are usually there on Sunday afternoons. uh, Along with the other frequent co-host of this podcast, Michelle Jewell Shaw. Details on our open houses can be found at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep keep a a good good light. light.